Revelation 22, we're going to pick up at verse 1. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. Literally, no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. They will serve Him. They will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Get the point? Forever. For all eternity. I was in a conversation this week with someone and we, we were talking and uh, we were talking about, he was asking about, you know, we, we've lived in several different places and so forth. And we were talking about some of the places that we lived. And um, he, he, he asked me, he said, uh, it's, it kind of startled me because nobody's ever asked this. I mean, you know, we talk about, yeah, we lived in Wyoming. Oh, what was the mountains like? You know, stuff like that. But he asked me this question. It sort of startled me. I had to kind of get my thoughts together real quick. He said, did it change you? I said, yeah. You bet. I mean, living away, yeah. It did change me. But, but yet, it didn't. I mean, there was still, it was still me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't move off and become a different person. No, it was still me. But so, so no, yeah, there was still some connection. But yeah, it did. It, it changed, and and so we we started down this this road. And I was like, yeah, you know, I guess here's the thing: the the one of the biggest things. Now, a lot of stuff I think changed, and it's true. If you've lived away and been away for any time, and if you come back, it's like. I told my boys, my two boys that went into the military, and as they were leaving, I told both of them each time as they were leaving, I said, look, here's some things that are going to happen. And I said, one of the things that's going to happen, and it happened, didn't it? It happened, uh, especially with my middle son. He came back and he said, man, this place has changed. I said, you remember what I told you? This place hadn't changed a bit. You've changed. And I told them, I said, when you go, this is what's going to happen. You're going to change. And you're going to look at everything and go, man, these people have changed. No, no, no. We're the same. 
But you've changed. So yeah, so being away that, that brings about. So we got into this conversation about that. But one of the things that, that I said, yeah, I said, I guess I could put it this way. Coming back, you see things differently. And in one sense, you see what you couldn't see before. You, you, you're removed from a situation and, and, and then you come back and you go, ah, man, yeah, okay. And it's like, you know, you grow up in it, but you don't see it. And then you're sort of away from it. You come back and you see it, okay? So you see things that you couldn't see before. The gospel changes everything. And it changes everything about us, doesn't it? I mean, when you come to Christ... Some people look at being a Christian and becoming Christian as, well, it's just a belief system. Add it to my other belief systems. Maybe a little bit of adjustment in lifestyle. Maybe, maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, this and that. But, but pretty much it just sort of gets thrown into the mix with everything else, right? And that's the way a lot of people view Christian faith. It's the way a lot of people right now, that's the way a lot of people in America have viewed the Christian faith. It's the kind of Christian faith they've been living. It's good for Sundays and uh, maybe Wednesdays, but hey, Fridays are mine. Right? And don't you touch Saturday night. But isn't that true? That's, that's the way, that's the way it's, it's looked at. Here's the reality, though. When we look at the Bible, when we look at the New Testament, and we see the gospel, and we see what happens to people when, when they, they encounter the gospel and they encounter Christ, what happens is a total transformation from the inside out. Why do you think Christ said you must be born again? Or you will never see the kingdom of heaven. What was he talking about? He was talking about regeneration. What he was talking about was a transformation from the inside out in which God through His grace and the working of the Holy Spirit and the gospel and His word and He begins to transform us from the inside out. It changes everything about us. It changes the way we see Christ. Right? I remember what I used to think about Christ as an unbeliever. No more. He's my Lord. And I love Him. I remember what I used to think about myself as an unbeliever. The gospel changed even that. I remember the way I used to look at this world as an unbeliever. No longer. The gospel transformed that. You see, my point, it changes everything. It changes the way that I see things. And in a sense, I begin to see things I would not have seen before. I begin to see things that I never would have seen before because, as we read in that Ephesians passage, right, we were darkness, can't see in darkness. Now the gospel came, your light. What do you see in light? What did Paul say there? It exposes, right? Light you can see. It, I can see. I can see myself. I can see the world and it's all. I can see what I could not see before. Didn't Thomas go through something like this after the resurrection? He wasn't there. Then he, Jesus appears to him and Thomas sees what he could not see before, right? And what happened to him? Transformed. I don't think he was ever a doubter. I just think he was a skeptic. Show me. I want to see him. And then when he saw him, what happened? Transformation. My Lord and my God. He was changed. 
You read in 1 Corinthians, and you read what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, about the wisdom of God and the power of the gospel and how the natural man, the lost person, that's who he's talking about there, the natural person, the unbeliever, they can't understand the things of the Spirit. They can't understand spiritual things. They're spiritually discerned. They, they don't see it. The pieces don't fit. It's always just a little bit off. It's always just a little bit missing. And then Paul says, but for the believer, it all fits together. It's not that we understand everything, but it, the gospel starts to make sense. Christ starts to make sense. And he talks about that change that happens, this transformation that comes, and we, 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 we have God's wisdom and so forth. So if we are a believer, if you're a Christian and you're a believer, the gospel has so powerfully transformed you from the inside out. Now, in some cases, it may have been dramatic. In some cases, it may have been gradual. Now, I think the regeneration and the, and, and, and the saving of the gospel happens instantaneously. But then to understand that, to come to grips with that, maybe it took a little longer for you to realize that's what happened. Right? For some, bam, it's dramatic. But if you're a believer, the gospel's changed you. It's changed us. It's changed us here. It's changed us now. Now it has changed us. We do see. We do understand. But there's something else that we begin to see and we begin to understand. There is still, this change and this transformation is still partial. It's not complete. It's partial. It's not full yet. It's not complete yet. Remember the end of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter? When Paul's talking about how, you know, it's like now we're looking in this mirror dimly. It's not like he's saying, I'm looking at, 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 this is the best analogy that I can give you of what he's talking about, how we're looking in this mirror and it's dim now. But then he says, we're going to see, you remember the passage? We're going to see what? Face to face. We're going to see face to face. What Paul is saying in a sense is this, right now we've got a photograph. But there's coming a day when we're going to have the real thing that the photograph represents. I love my wife dearly. But I wouldn't like, I, I, I would not get along well if, if over time all I had was just a photograph. Right? I mean, there's going to come a point in time where I'm like, no, I, I, I need to hug, I need to hug what this photograph represents. You get my point? That's Paul's point. Right now, partial, it's not complete. It's like a photograph. But there's coming a day, and this is what we've seen. Have we not traced this through this section of the book of Revelation? What seems to keep John seems to keep pointing to is completeness, 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 completeness. What was started in the Garden of Eden is going to be completed. And it's going to be completed fully. It's going to be completed fully. Not partially. It's going to be completed fully. You see, in understanding that, we understand this too. There is another change coming. You realize that? The gospel's changed me here and now, but there's another change coming. There's coming a point where we will see completely. 
There's coming a point where we won't be, again, looking at a photograph. But something has to happen before that happens. John, in the section of chapter 22, it's the fourth section in, in this section where he's been talking about heaven and he's showing us heaven. And so in, in the last five verses, which is the fourth section of this, uh, what does he see? What does he see? What will we see completely? I think there's two things that he, he sort of draws out in this section. There's two things about this glorious state that we'll be in. This glorious condition. You remember last week? It is a most glorious place. But we're going to be in a most glorious state. Condition. Existence. However you want to put that. When we started this last section in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, you remember the first eight verses there? What is it that he, he's showing us? The new heaven, new earth. Now keep in mind, remember, I don't think that the way this plays out, that he sees the new heaven and the new earth, there's no more sea, no more chaos, no more sin, and then within the new heaven and new earth, he sees the city. He's seeing, this is the way I think he's, he's writing this and the way it plays out. He sees the new heaven and new earth. Do you know he said nothing else about new heaven and new earth, has he? Nothing else. Other than there's no chaos. Then there's the city. So what is heaven? It's new heaven. It's new earth. It's a city. And what about this city? It's complete. It's complete. It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's complete. And then what did we see last week? What else about this city? What about this? It is glorious because it is full of His glory. It's full of His glory. Full of His glory. Well, what about the last thing that John says? It's about presence. It's about presence. And it's not just our presence that we'll see. So there's two things about this glorious existence. Here's the first one. He starts in chapter 22, verse 1. There's, there's this, this, this scene of this glorious, glorious, eternal life-giving source. Look at verse 1. He says, then the angel showed me. This is going all the way back. Remember chapter 21. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away in the sea, and there was no more, and I saw the holy city. This is what he's being showed. He's seeing this. This angel is showing him this. And so then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. And he describes it as this. It's bright as crystal. Now, either it could be meaning clear. If, he, if he's meaning clear as crystal here, maybe the idea is purity. If he's meaning shiny, bright, in the sense of, of man, it's just beautiful. Man, it just captures the eye. Uh, then, then maybe he's talking about, maybe he, he means here glory, but this river. You understand where he's taking us back. You remember John has pulled from the Old Testament, pulled from the Old Testament, pulled from the Old Testament. And he's taking us back again to the garden. He's taking us right back to the Garden of Eden. And you remember in the garden, it says there in Genesis, it talks about how in Genesis chapter 2 there, it talks about how what flowed out of the garden. It was a river, wasn't it? It was this river that flowed. But notice in Genesis, it says it flowed out of the garden. And then what did it do? It divided, right? I think it was four rivers, right? 
divides into four rivers. So he's taking us back to this. By the way, when you look at this, and, and, and it says that the river of water of life, it, it flowed. It was crystal. It's flowing. It's present participle, which means it's continual. What he's seeing is this continual, eternally. He's not seeing something that started and somebody reached up and cut the spigot off and it stopped. He's not looking at a river that was flowing out of a beautiful, perfect garden and then sin enters and then it's shut off. You remember how it was shut off? Remember he closed the garden up? No, this is flowing and it's flowing. It's continually flowing. And where is it flowing from? It's flowing from the throne of God. Let me just point this out because I pointed this out last week. You notice it's from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There it is again. And of the Lamb. And of the Lamb. The Lamb's there. The Lamb's there. But here's the thing, this, this, this river in, in the garden, it's flowing from the garden. Here, it's flowing from the very throne of God and the Lamb. What about water, though? What is this representing? It's representing eternal life. I think we see that, right? Our Lord takes this, and, and He uses this in John 4. And He talks about, when He's talking to the woman at the well, and she's thirsty, and they're talking about drinking water, and Jesus says, I, got a, I have a water in fact, I, I am that water. If you drink of me, you never thirst again. Right? You remember that whole encounter in John 4? Water, eternal life. Why does Jesus say in John 3, I referenced this early about being born again. And then he talks about how you must be born of, of water, right? You must be born of water. And what is he referencing there in John 3? He's going back to Ezekiel 36. He's pulling out of Ezekiel 36 when Ezekiel says about the new covenant. What's God going to do? He's going to sprinkle clean water on you. He's going to change you. And Jesus pulls this from Ezekiel 36, and you have to be born again. And, and the water there, it's a double reference to the working of the Holy Spirit. This eternal life source, this eternal life-giving source, where does eternal life come from? It comes from God and God alone. You don't possess it. I don't possess it. We turn to Christ. And by His grace, God gives it. And even in heaven, we're going to be dependent upon that grace of this life-giving source, this eternal life-giving source. Do you see that? Where is it flowing from? It's flowing from Him. It's flowing from Him. It's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah is, 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 is prophesying. He's talking about this restoration that will happen with Israel and Jerusalem. And then he, he gets into chapter 14. They're about verses 7 and 8. And, and then he starts to talk about this, this water. And he starts to talk about this living water that's going to just flow from Jerusalem. What is that living water? It's eternal life. It's tied to Christ. It's tied to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's tied to God. It's His grace. Now notice the second thing that he sees here. He says that there was this river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And then he says in the middle of the street, this is the street that he's already talked about. This is the street that he mentions in chapter 21. You remember verse 21? And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. This street, 
So what he sees here is in, 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 in the either side of the street, in the middle of the street, and on either side, on this side or that side. It's strange the way he puts it. What does he see? He sees the tree of life. Where is he taking us? Straight back to the Garden of Eden. You remember the two trees that were there? There was the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge. Remember that? Don't eat of this one. In fact, they ate of that one. He had to close the garden up because if they ate of the tree of life, they would have lived eternally in a fallen state. The tree of life. So he sees it. He's pulling again from here from Ezekiel. You go back and you look at Ezekiel. We've talked about his use of Ezekiel 40 through chapter 40 through 48 in this section. And you look at Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel's talking about this water that's coming in the streets and this water. And then he talks about not just one tree. He talks about multiple trees on either side of the street. And so what he sees here on either side of the street, he sees the tree of life, which is Christ. And some way in the garden, that was Christ, the tree of life. And here it is, the tree of life. And notice what he says. With its twelve kinds of fruit. Why 12? You see the number 12 keeps popping up in this, right? 12. Well, there's 12 months. He's going to talk about that too. But see, 12, again, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, the complete picture here of the people of God. That's why 12 keeps popping up here. So he says that uh, here it is, and it's 12 kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. There's not going to be any curse there. We'll get to that in just a second. But notice that it's 12 kinds of fruit, and it's yielding its fruit each month. Do fruit, tree, do fruit trees uh, produce fruit each, each month? If you have a fruit tree producing fruit right now, and it's planted outside, I don't know, it's getting up to 70. It might sprout out here pretty soon. <laughs> Let me put it this way. When it was below freezing, like most of last week, and if you had a fruit tree outside and it was producing gorgeous apples, gorgeous plums, you, you've got something, right? It just doesn't. We go through these normal cycles. See, here again, in heaven, here's this tree. It's producing fruit each month. There's this normal cycles that we're used to, and in a partial, incomplete existence, are done away with. This is perfect. This is complete. And this tree keeps producing fruit after fruit after fruit after fruit. Water keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. It's this eternal source of life that is always there. And it's tied to Christ. It's tied to Him. That's why again, and of the Lamb. So, there's this eternal life-giving source. The second thing that he begins to see is, is this state, this existence, this, this glorious existence in heaven. And beginning there in verse 3, he says, no longer will there be any accursed thing. Again, I mentioned earlier when I was reading this, literally it's there's no more curse. Guess where he's taking us back? He's taking us right back to the garden. You remember Genesis 3? Remember what happened? Curse. Sin enters the picture. This was, this was God had created everything perfect. And what happens? Sin. Disobedience. 
Adam disobeys. Eve disobeys. Adam disobeys. And what happens is they plunge all of the human race into sin. And what does God do? God begins to curse everything. God begins to place a curse on everything. This curse, there is not one square inch of God's creation that is not under the curse for sin. There's no island of righteousness anywhere that escaped the curse of God. There is no heart in which it has escaped the curse of God. It's everywhere. You see, that's why Watts, when he writes, Joy to the World, we've talked about this before, it's about the second coming, it's not about... His birth. But he talks about, you know, he came to make his blessings flow. How far? Far as the curse is found. That's what Watts is right. Far as the curse is found. Where is it found? It's found everywhere. It's found in every square inch. It's found in every heart. It's found in every mind. It's found in every institution. It's found in everything in this fallen, broken World, it's found in everything. And some places it shows up worse than in other places, but rest assured it shows up everywhere, doesn't it? It's everywhere. And so what did God do? God began the process. One of the curses, remember, we've looked at this before. One of one of the curses that he places on the serpent, the first preaching of the gospel there in Genesis 3:15. You're going to bruise his heel, but you know what? He's going, to, he's going to crush your head. First, talking about the cross, there's a Savior coming. And what is the Savior coming to do? It's to save us. Save us from what? The curse. To save us from the curse. Because if we're not saved from the curse, then we will face the wrath of God for all eternity. We will face judgment and wrath for all eternity. But no, the Savior came. Paul puts it this way to the Galatians. This Savior, this Jesus, how did He save us from this? He became a curse. He became a curse. He tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He who knew no sin became sin. Now be careful. He didn't become a sinner. He didn't become guilty of the curse. But he took our curse upon himself. He took our sin upon himself and he died our substitute, right? And he was buried and he was raised the third day. And so even now, in this transformation that takes place, that curse is broken. It's not done away with yet. Because we still live in a fallen, broken world. You see why he says now, no more curse. It's like him saying there's a new heaven and a new earth and there was no more sea. It's gone. It's been purged from every square inch of heaven. It's gone. The curse has been dealt with. 
It's been dealt with. Then notice what else he says. He says there's no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. There's His presence. And then notice what he says. And His servants will worship Him, will serve Him. The word could be translated service. It could be translated worship. The noun form of this is used in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, for our... the, the, the reasonable service, reasonable worship that Paul talks about there. What is this going to look like? Worship, service? I don't have a clue. I'm just being honest with you. I could speculate all day long. And I could claim to have a vision and write a book. Right? Right? I'm going to be honest with you. Don't nobody know. All we do know is this. You see, we do know what he said so far, right? There's no curse. This existence, there's no curse. The throne of God, the Lamb, he's there. We're going to see something else about his presence in just a second. And we're going to worship. We're going to serve him. You see, why does he talk about it as a city? A city would imply busyness. Right? A city would imply busyness. We will be doing something. I don't know what that something will be, but we will be doing something. It's going to come up again at the very end. So he says that there's no curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will serve him. And then notice this. Notice this other thing that he says about this existence, this glorious existence. They will see his face. Voila. They will see his face. And then he says their name, and his name is going to be written on their forehead. We've already seen this name. We've already seen this, this, this ownership and so forth. We've traced this through the book of Revelation. You know what's interesting? Just before the last curse is placed on Pharaoh, you go back, read through Exodus. And just before that last plague comes on Pharaoh, God says to Pharaoh, the next time you see my face, where was he seeing his face? In the plagues. God says to Pharaoh, the next time you see my face, you will die. Later on, I want to see your glory, Moses says. No man can see my face, Moses, and live. We've traced this with the glory earlier. Remember that? No man can see my face and live. And yet, what are we being told here? We're going to see his face. Something needs to change in order for us to see His face. Because if the Bible's right, I could not see His face right now and live. I couldn't. Even as a believer. I want you to hold on to that. We're going to come back to that here in just a second. 
They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night, nights no more. Night standing throughout the book of Revelation, and particularly in this section on heaven, night is, is associated with separation from God. You see, when Jesus is casting out the demons, and He talks about how unbelievers, they're going to be cast out into utter darkness. Darkness symbolizing representing the separation from God. There's going to be no more night. It's not going to be there. We're going to be with Him. Why? His throne's there. We're going to see His face. And He says they will need no lamp of the light, uh, uh, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign with Him. They will reign forever and ever and ever, for all eternity. What does reigning look like? I, have, I don't have a clue. I wish I did. I wish I did. I just know we're going to serve, worship, and reign. And whatever it's going to be, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. Again, this, this, this idea of no night, this lamp, it's, it's there. We've already seen the glory there. Who is the lamp? It's the lamb, right? You see, it's just screaming out, presence, 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 presence. We will be in the presence of God. God's going to be there. We're going to be there. This glorious state, this glorious existence, this most glorious place is where it's going to be. This transformed place, this connection with the garden. Yeah, it's what he started in the garden, completed, finished. And it is what he started in the garden, raised to a higher degree, raised to something. We can't even begin to fathom how glorious this place is going to be. Complete. Transformed. And it's going to be filled with transformed people. People that have been transformed by the gospel. People that have changed. Which leads to the question then, how can I see Him in heaven? Is God going to change? No. Remember what He told Malachi? I'm the Lord. I'm God, Malachi, and I do not change. I don't change. Okay, so if God's not going to change in heaven, and keep in mind, remember, everything, every time we see someone seeing the glory, this side of heaven, it's always been mediated, hadn't it? It's always been filtered. It's always been contained in a tabernacle, in a temple. Moses seeing the reflection of a reflection of a reflection, hidden the cleft of a rock. Jesus Christ coming in flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. But that glory veiled in the flesh. Right? Even at the transfiguration, steel veiled. And yet here in heaven... No veil, no mediation, the full glory of God. And there we are. Not even the angels could look on the glory of God. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. He changes us. One final time.
Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I was thinking through this, and I was just this was running over in my mind about seeing him face to face, and we had been dealing with this. Wait a minute, I can't see his face. And, and all of a sudden there was this connection in my mind to 1 Corinthians 15. And as I started to think about this connection with heaven. How, how is it that I could see him? How is it that I could see his face? And he's not going to change. And then, and then I started to realize, wait a minute, this connection's been there the whole time. This completion, this idea of completed, it's a completed place. It's full of completed people. This idea was there. And this is what, this is what Paul writes about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 42. So, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. Now this is, this is what he's doing, follow it. Where is it sown? It's sown here, here and now. Redeemed? Is my body redeemed? Yeah, but it's still perishable. Because you know what? One day it's going to be raised. And how is it going to be raised? You see what he says? Imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, low, but it is raised in what? Glory. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised power. See it? It is sown... A natural body. It is raised. A spiritual body. Same body? Yeah. Just transformed. Transformed. No longer perishable. No longer in dishonor. No longer in weakness. No longer a natural body. A spiritual body. If there is a natural, Paul says, there is also a spiritual. Thus is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first. It is not the spiritual that comes first. It's not this heavenly state that comes first. You see? It's not this transformed body that comes first. It's the natural that comes first. We live out our existence in this earthly body. And then at some point we die or the Lord comes back, right? And then what comes? What comes then is a spiritual body. The first man was of the earth. The man of the dust. The second man from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as of the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be what? 
How can I see him face to face? Because he changes me. He transforms me. And in the presence of his glory, I don't need a shield. It is beautiful. I will see him face to face. But we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be, see it again? Here it is again. We shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the immortality, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It all comes back to Him every time, doesn't it? It all comes back to the Lamb. It all comes back to Christ. Every single time, it all comes back to Him. It all comes back to Him. This is what Paul tells the Philippians. He says this in Philippians chapter 3. In verse 20, Philippians chapter 3, Verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And, f- and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then listen, this is what he says in verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body. He's going to transform this lowly body. To be like his glorious body. Remember what his body was like after the resurrection? That was the heavenly body. That was the transformed body. Was it his body? Yeah. Was it transformed? Yeah, because he's walking through walls. He's more real than anything on this earth. That's our transformed body. That's how I see him. That's how I see his face. And not die. If you are not transformed now by the gospel, transformed, born again, regenerated, those the language that we use. If you are not transformed by the gospel here and now, you will not see his face. You will be resurrected because there is a resurrection of the just and the unjust. There is the first resurrection. You remember this? Revelation 20. And there is the second resurrection. You will be resurrected. But you will be resurrected to face His wrath for all eternity. Not seeing His face. You see, seeing His face implies intimacy, doesn't it? It implies intimacy. So what do you do 
you flee to Christ right now. You turn to Him and you flee to Him and you cry out to Him to save you. That's what He came to do. Was to save you from the sin, to save you from your sin, to save you from the curse that has invaded every part of your being. He came to save you from that and to transform you and to cause you then to live in the light of the gospel. And all you do is cry out to it. That's all you do. And then you know what? One day, we're going to be in a glorious place. There's going to be a whole bunch of transformed people there that have gone before us. And we're going to be in a glorious state. And I'm going to see my Savior. Face to face. Let's pray. Father, these this is tremendous truth, and we think through it. I I just pray, let it sink in. I mean, how is it that how is it that we could bear up under pressures of life and bear up under the stuff that's been gone that has happened over the last year so how is it that we could bear up under any of that how is it that we could we can continue on wake up tomorrow and, and just continue how is it that we can do that? it's because we understand this is not our home we understand there is a future glory that awaits us how is it that I could make it through some debilitating disease some horrible horrible thing that could possibly you know, that, that, I, that it could happen because of the curse, because of sin, because of the brokenness of this world. How is it that any of us could possibly make it through that with any sense of joy and happiness? It's because we understand this is not our home. And there's coming a place, a completed place, with transformed people and a glorious existence. That's what we long for. That's how we make it. That's how we continue on. Help us to see. But we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.